0: Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by Bright Peak Financial, a non-for-profit membership organization providing Christians with the right products, tools, and resources to gain financial strength. Go to BrightPeakfinancial.com to create your financial success story. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell.
2: Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Rev. Dr. Derek B. Wells is the senior minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. I've been in the midst of a series I've titled uh, New Thought History, where we've been talking about different aspects of how New Thought has affected history and communities, etc. And I have another powerful guest today to be interviewed. Today, I am interviewing the uh, – I just heard something – The the author of the book Beyond Christianity, which is a book about the African-American experience with uh, the New Thought community and her particular experience, Dr. Darnese Martin. How are you doing there, Dr. Martin?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Reverend Galen.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, just so the audience has an opportunity before we start talking about the book, can you give us a little bit about your background? and, And obviously the book talks about how you Uh, became involved in the New Thought Movement. Could you give us a little bit of background on yourself?
0: Sure. Um, Well, I'm someone who was raised uh, as a Methodist, an AME tradition, AME Zion, in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm from. I live now in L.A. But um, I was just a child who had a lot of uh, religious questions, I guess I would say, very early. And... um, I was just not quite content, (laughs) I guess I'll say, with the answers that Christianity offered as I knew it. And growing up, I was—I went to church more with my best friend's family. They were Baptist. Her father was a Baptist minister, and I went with them mostly. And on holidays, I'd go with my own family to the Methodist church. But in any case, I was just not satisfied with the answers that I was receiving, even as a young child. And of course I didn't really know what to do with that. I just continued to read various religious texts. My mother used to say, you know, she used to ask me, where'd you get that book? Oh, at the library. Where'd you get, what are you doing? I'm reading this book about reincarnation or something. So I was just a kid who had a lot of questions that went unanswered by my immediate community. I continued to just reach for whatever book or if I ever knew somebody, a teacher or somebody who could explain things to me. Uh, religious things to me i just gravitated towards that i was very hungry for spiritual knowledge straight away and so that led me to where well, circuitously i can't even say it was a straight line actually um in terms of my career but i just eventually came back as i grew up went to high school went to college i found my way to the new thought tradition and i thought This right here answers my questions. Where has this been all of my life? And I think I was probably, I would say, I believe I was my mid, my early to mid 30s by that time. By the time I really found an actual New Thought of a Religious Science Church. At that time, I was in Oakland doing my graduate work. And so I was uh, extraordinarily happy to find New Thought. It it really answered the questions that i would always had.
2: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So when you found the New Thought Church uh, and you started to learn about, you know, the principles that are, are espoused by the spiritual movement, uh, what prompted you to want to write a book about the African-American experience in the New Thought Church?
0: Well, funny, I didn't really see it at first. I was, I was doing my doctoral work. I was at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, And I had come to that place in my doctoral studies where we have to declare a dissertation project. And up to that point, I had been immersed in, well, my subject matter was historical and cultural studies of religion. Up to that point, I had been immersed in the history part of it, and that was early Christian era. And I thought, well, I'm kind of done with that. And the, the historical Jesus stuff, I'm really, you know, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do now. And I was speaking to one of my advisors. I was taking classes from him in various classes, but they were primarily about African-American religious um, expression, African-American religious cultures, African traditional religions kind of thing. So he guided me because I really felt like this is it. I don't know. I'm going to finish this dissertation. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said to me, what about that church you go to? <laughs> and I said, what about it? <laughs> and um, again, this was in Oakland, and the church is in Oakland, East Bay Church of Religious Science, about which I wrote the book. And he said, well, we've been ta- you've been taking these classes with me about African-American religious expressions, various kinds of ways that African-Americans express religiously. Well... Aren't you going to a church where African-Americans are doing something that's a little unusual? And he knew this because I had shared it with him. He came from a church, although he was a um, Presbyterian minister himself, his mother had been somehow affiliated with unity. So he was somewhat um, aware of new thought. And so he pointed me in the direction. And then it's like the scales fell away from my eyes. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, I'm sitting on something that needs to be written. There's so much. I mean, people generally assume that African-Americans are all Christian, um, maybe Muslim. But for the most part, you know, no one was writing about African-Americans in New Thought, not in an academic sense. So that's how my attention went to my own church at that time. And then what I had in my mind was a sort of academic framework for how to engage what I was now seeing. And so I became what is called an, uh, a participant observer. When you decide to study a group that you belong to, whatever group that may be, but when you start to, when you say, now I'm going to look at it more objectively, or at least attempt to, or look at it academically, I took on that role of participant uh, observer. And I started to do the research there and interview people in ways that I in ways that were really specific instead of just sort of going there and talking to people and, you know, worshiping there. I started to have different eyes and speak to people about more specific things. And I thought this is a major contribution to the study of African-American religion, because especially at that time, people were like, well, what is New Thought? What? What kind of church is that? What are you doing over there? You people don't believe in Jesus, so it was a a transformational era for me in my life really personally and in terms of what I was able to do, I think, in the book in terms of helping people understand what New Thought is and that there are African-Americans doing it.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So once you wrote the book and, you know, obviously talk about, you know, being an objective observer, what do you feel as though New Thought um, brings, in particular, is teaching to help the African-American community?
0: Well, I say empowerment, personal empowerment. And as I interviewed people in the church, that was mostly what people said in one way or another, that what they got from it was... The ability to think outside of well, in, in that case, almost everybody in that particular church had been affiliated with Christianity in some way, so they felt freer to pursue their questions, pursue answers. But mostly, they feel a sense, felt a sense of empowerment. Like I, if I don't like something in my life or the, the direction, the trajectory, I actually have power. And so for people who have the experience that African Americans have had in the US, it, it, it creates a new kind of momentum. Oh, you mean I have power, even though there are systems around me that would, would suggest that I don't? Right. You mean that if I'm in relationships, I don't have to see myself as, well, this always happens to me. Oh, you mean I could do something different? Oh, you mean God wants something different for me? And I think that, you know, that's the critical piece for African-Americans is that God, the universe, but in that particular context, God actually created me to be a co-creator. This is actually who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to move in the world. And so that kind of empowerment is, uh, I mean, it's life changing for people.
2: So when, when you started to present these ideas in academic circles, how was it received?
0: Well, well really, the first question always was, and yeah, to a lesser degree now, what is that? What is New Thought? And yeah. people really, even religion scholars, did not know what New Thought is. And then, sometimes in academia, I was just telling uh, someone yesterday that academia is this very cliquish, small group. And when you're talking about something that's sort of outside the norm, people just sort of look at you like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So the fact that I was doing something in African American religions already sort of made me marginal. And then I was talking about something that was not even Christian or Muslim or Is Islam. So People didn't really know how to engage me. Scholars didn't know how to engage me. So it was, I felt like I was continually having to educate even my academic peers. And, you know, the way I would do that, I'd say, well, you know, it's an American religion. It comes out of the 19th century. All the lives start talking about the healing aspects of it. And then some of the religion professors who were um, experts in American religion specifically, they'd say, oh, you mean Christian science. (laughs) <laughs>
2: and I say, yeah.
0: getting close.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, you're in the
0: ballpark now. Yeah. Right. So the reception was, what is that? What are you doing? I? So that meant they received me as sort of marginal in terms of my own work. But you know, I kind of got over that and realized that, well, apparently my work as an academic and as a professor is someone who is on the margins or pushing the envelope and at one point when i felt you know like that was a burden now i've moved into feeling like no this is the leading edge and i mm-hmm. and i here i am
2: yes yes i can remember having a conversation with um uh the former president who's deceased now um reverend dr mary tumpkin she was the president after reverend coleman for the universal right. foundation for better living right. and you know you know, A lot of people don't know this, but she wanted to be a professor and a minister and the president. She just didn't have time. Right. She had a, a doctorate in biblical studies. Okay. And uh, I remember her th- telling me about a conversation that she had. She engaged this particular Bible scholar about um, working with uh, UFBL, as we can just call it for short and this person like many people in the academic realm was either, a- he's either atheist or agnostic i think he's an atheist and you know but he's a like you know a, a pretty well known new testament scholar uh huh and, and he said he said you know i don't believe in god but since i've been hanging around you guys i'm a lot more prosperous <laughs> 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 because he had to, st- because even though he was he was a scholar, he didn't know anything about new thought. So when right. she addressed him, she addressed him from her academic side. You know, these are my credentials. This is what I do, etc. She just chose to go. You know, obviously focus all of her attention and growing her personal church and the organizational churches. But it, 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 every time I think about that statement, it makes me laugh because. <laughs> he started to study it and it started and and they would have conversations about prosperity and he started to apply some things, even though he doesn't believe in God. Right. It still, see, that's the beauty of the teaching. He doesn't even believe in God worked it and got the demonstration, (laughs) the desire demonstration, which which is (laughs) hilarious to me. So, (laughs) you know, so that's the reason why I, I asked you that question, because, you know, I've asked this question of many people, um, Uh, Another friend of mine, uh, Dr. Will Coleman, who does um, biblical mysticism, and he was just in Chicago uh, doing some work with us about a week and a half ago or two weeks, two weeks ago. And, you know, bringing this teaching um, to the the university has been a little bit more challenging because it's, you know, and that's why I think to a certain extent I've been saying this for years, um, the New Thought Organization's need to come together and create their own universities just like every other religion has ever done
1: right
2: and you and you create your own legitimacy you don't wait for other people to legitimize you exactly but you know so um but it's just kind of funny that uh you said that because i was just like that guy he always sticks in my mind and you know and and just meeting some other people who never heard a new thought who studied religion um um, I remember when we first met uh Bishop John Shelby Spong oh, yeah. and he came to do some work with us and he really wasn't familiar with new thought and when he had an opportunity to to come to our uh Panorama Truth Conference and then Reverend Coleman invited him to Christ Universal Temple um he was amazed you know uh with us changing the lyrics of the songs and the uh-huh. and the presentations and how even with the, the, the with the prayer etc I mean he he was blown away by it but now, I'm saying, like, this man writes about religion, and he had never heard of us, uh, the New Thought Movement. And a lot of people haven't, but, but here's the thing. I think what we don't realize is, and I'm sure you came across this in your work, because we're about two minutes from a break, so I don't want to ask another question that'll unfold and you have to stop, um, is they've been affected by the teaching, even, if don't, even though they don't know what to call it.
0: Oh, absolutely! I've definitely found that. And uh, since you mentioned Dr. Will Coleman, he—he's a friend of mine. He went—he did his doctorate the same place I did mine. He's a few years older than than myself, but he and I talk periodically. And he's able to, just like he came to your community, he's able to take the teaching, you know, directly to the people, so to speak, in churches and communities. And he's happy to be out of the academic world um formally, you know, he's not, I think he used to be a dean somewhere. Yeah. It, and he's happy not to do that because it is such a closed environment. And what's expected of you is just very narrow and circular. And so he's happy to be doing something else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's called freedom.
0: It's called freedom. And, <laughs> and I will say so we could pick this up on the other side too, but a lot of my students now are realizing, oh, I've heard of this. But when I first started teaching in 2005, they just blank stares, blank stares.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yes, yes, yes. It's, it's it's amazing. We're coming up on our first break, so let me just uh, give my little quick commercial that – this show, along with all the other shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donations. So, as you freely receive, freely give, go to unity.fm, click on the donate button, and help support this online ministry. We have people that are listening to this show in other continents, uh, and it's important that we make sure that we get this message of empowerment that people are the individualized expressions of God. Out into the world. It literally changes and transforms lives. So make sure that you go on unity.fm, click on the donate button, and help support this online ministry. Also a reminder that this show has a Facebook page, Truth Transforms of Reverend Galen McDowell. Go on and share it. Um, like the stuff on the page. Let people know about it. And let people know about the work we're doing. We will be right back with Truth Transforms.
1: Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives.
0: What does simple living sound like to you? Is it a quiet moment on your front porch? A cold beverage after a long day? Or maybe spending quality time with your family? Whatever it is, simple living is a powerful act of joy, abundance, and refreshment. Want to simplify your life? Join the Simple Living Challenge by Bright Peak Financial. It's an inspiring and easy 14-day challenge to help you cut down on life's clutter to lead a simpler, more balanced life. Go to SimpleLivingChallenge.com to sign up.
1: and more vibrant. Do you have a specific issue or topic you'd like to discuss with Coach Carla? Call in toll-free Tuesdays at 3 p.m. during Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla. you for tuning in to truth transforms now here's your host reverend galen mcdowell
2: welcome back to truth transforms i am interviewing dr darnice martin about her book beyond christianity which is a book about the african-american experience and the new thought movement so uh dr darnice i am i wanted to ask you about how the when you start doing studies about the African American um, movement, I mean, uh, New Thought movement and African American people in the movement, how, um, what are some of the ways that New Thought could better embrace the African American culture? Wow. I mean, make it more. F- in other words, to draw them in, because I, I'm of the, let me just give some context, I'm of the opinion that if, if there's a message in religion in America that can help the black community, one of them, without a shadow of a doubt, is the New Thought Movement. So I say that within that context.
0: Okay. Yeah, so it's always a, you know, when we talk about the black religious expression experiences, Most of us come out of the evangelical Protestant tradition, Baptist, Methodist, now Pentecostal, and that has a certain aesthetic, a certain cultural feel to it in terms of music, in terms of preaching style, and those things have become critical to African-American worship. I mean, some people will say, well, you know, they don't necessarily need that, but when we look at where most African Americans are religiously and where, where there is strong church attendance, we can kind of see, you know, African Americans tend to like a certain type of cultural expression. So those new thought churches that are able to, that are comfortable with that, that, that embrace that, then you're likely, more likely to have African Americans who come back because it's a familiar, comforting, um, enjoyable religious expression. So I usually give my students in a classroom the example. I said, you know, we, all of us as human beings who are practicing any form of religion are really practicing a form of folk religion. And that means that however, whatever we are for Roman, for Catholic or, or whatever expression, Muslim, whatever it is, we want to feel comfortable as we worship God. So if I was to go to a Russian Orthodox church, I would probably not feel like that's the match for me. Some of it might be in Russian. The iconography might be Russian, uh, not might be, would be Russian, um, acknowledging the history and the contributions of Russian people. Maybe they'd ask me to stay later for Russian food. The music would be. So whereas I might be able to get something out of it, it wouldn't be the place that I would return to again and again because it doesn't feel like me. It doesn't feel like home. So for new thought churches, it's like, okay, well, how do you embrace African-Americans in such a way that African-Americans feel like this is home? And so we can do the, what I'll call in this moment, externals, you know, the music and the general feel and aesthetic of the place, but even something like in the preaching, you know, you mentioned how you preach. There's a certain style with a certain call and response that people are, are, black people are more familiar with, even if you don't do it quite that, quite one way. There's a certain sense in how black church is done. So the minister is expected, I'll say, is expected to deliver the message in a certain kind of a way. And in this time, probably in all time, but in this time, There's got to be a message from the minister, from the church body itself that reaches African-American people in our social environment and our political environment. It can't just all be go and meditate and say these affirmations. We live in a time and not never been a time in America where there hasn't been, you know, social unrest. But things are, in our time now, what they are. And so, I think for New Thought to be more of a draw, if various New Thought churches started to say, well, we're going to have a town hall, or we're going to do this, or, we're going to do that, which invites people to come and share their stories and talk about what kind of uh, justice they need in their communities, that's an opportunity for, for New Thought churches to get black people in the door. And then to say... Here's what we're about. Here's what we're about theologically. We are about changing the world. We're about helping you as individual people change your world. And here's how we're going to change the world. We have to change the consciousness of all humanity. And here's how we start. So, you know, there's a certain sort of aesthetic that you got to have. The music, the, 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 the preaching style, the artwork. But... What, you know, you can't really have people coming and saying, well, what was that? Or I don't know what they were talking about. That didn't do anything for me. And so what, what are black people concerned about right now? Economics, social justice. Um, You know, how to, you know, something as basic as how to raise my kids to adulthood. You know, very things that are just on people's minds that are pressing on people. You're in Chicago, so I don't have to tell you <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And then uh, I have this other question for you since you're in Chicago. Do you work at all with Father Michael Flake?
2: No, we know him. Um, You know, he's a friend of the ministry. He has been for 20 plus years. So directly know do we meet in the same places and the same venues to do some of the same things? Yes, matter of fact, um, you know, with that large protest that was happening in Chicago and uh, in the winter when it was all over the CNN and things of that nature. You probably didn't know me then, but I was actually in the front of the line with <laughs> a big really? check out of coat all the scarves and hats uh, of Reverend Wells and some other folks um, because you know, it was, we had to be present to Things are happening, in it. Right. And if the church is quiet, people expect leaders to lead. Exactly. And you can't. You can't lead from the back. So you have to, you know. And if if you teach that, you know, God is life, and the life in each individual, then we have to make a stand for that expression of life, even when it shows up in ways that you might not want. It's it's right. it's not for other people to make the choice to snuff a life out uh, because it's showing up a certain kind of way.
0: Right
2: and you know so no you know you know but we get down in the same circles. I mean he knows our pastor. He knew Reverend Coleman. They were really good friends. Uh-huh. And um, he's come here to do help us do different things in the past. Um, so no, we've we we run in the same circles. He's okay. a good guy. He's a actually really good guy. Um, and you know the thing about you know New Thought, which is interesting because even you know which I think is. All New Thought churches are trying to find the fine line with this. And let me just drop this. If people want to call in and join the conversation, you can call in at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. One more time, 888-558-6489. I think um, the, the the balance that which I think the New Thought community is trying to find with social justice is how do you – Obviously, teach the principles that we know work for better living, for right. transformed lives. Right. And at the same time, um, be the early adopters to the change you want to see. It, right. um, you know, because there's an aspect of new thought that says, um, you know, this is the principle, this is how we teach it. Transform your consciousness, consciousness is your experience, etc. and you go forward. There's also an aspect of it that says, okay, um, that. Um, once you become transformed, you're supposed to go do something, right? So I think that that new thought—not just new thought, but I think religion in general—but new thought because I, our teaching is so unique. Um, you know, you know, we're the people who 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 don't have a a devil to blame. Right. We're the people who don't have uh, who who talk about you know people drawing experiences to them by right of consciousness that right. life is consciousness, etc. And then we have to deal with the Different issues that are happening, you know, that are part of individual consciousness and collective consciousness, right? Um, you know, so trying to find that nuance, you know, and, you know when when a person is trying to get a demonstration. Like uh, I was talking to you offline about, you know, me getting a healing at age twenty, going on twenty one from almost dying from asthma, being in the hospital for four or five days, being home for two and a half weeks after that, and then realizing that this teaching could transform my life. So I really wasn't focused on anything other than me getting my demonstration. Uh Nothing else mattered. But now I'm in a different space. That was 20-whatever years ago. The thing about it is, you know, I I kind of work with, to paraphrase Ernest Holmes, not Ernest Holmes, Emmett Fox, who's one of my favorite writers, uh, where he said, you know, if everybody goes out in front of their house and cleans up in front of their house, the whole block is clean. Right. I think so. The primary responsibility of New Thoughts is individual, get yourself together. Right. Then you can be an empowered part of a collective right. where some religious beliefs believe in get a part of the collective and the individual becomes become secondary. And I don't think that New Thought will ever morph into the individual become secondary when we teach that the individual was an individualized expression of God. That's How right. do you balance that? Right. Is 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 what we're dealing with and um you know for instance without because i'm interviewing you i'm supposed to be doing all this talking but it's here so i'm just going to say it if you don't mind mm-hmm. um and one of the things that i was talking about when reverend coleman started christ universal temple in 1956 is a black woman from mississippi 36 years old uh had, four years before that or so had six months to live uh, diagnosed and she went to unity village to learn about spiritual healing what she did, even if she's in this place to teach a new thought, she couldn't live on campus because she was black. Mm-hmm. She had to drive an hour in and an hour back every yeah. every um, day for classes. And, you know, and then uh, her, her classmates, when she said she wasn't going to take it anymore in 1955, her classmates, including uh, the legendary Catherine Ponder, uh, signed a petition for her to mm-hmm. stay on the campus. Mm. um. And that, that's how Unity Village was integrated. So she she called Unity on what it taught. Right. Okay. That's part, that, to me, that was social justice change. She was like, if this is what you say you stand for, why is this showing up?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the, to, 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 and what she actually told them was, if you can't practice what you teach, then you can keep it. That's actually what she said she told them.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cause you know, Ernest Holmes would say, well, you know, you just, if it does, if it works, uh, if you do it and it works, it, it's its own proof. Right. Well, and if not, the same. So it's like, okay, well, it either works, you you either, you get the demonstration and if it doesn't work for you, that's, let it go. Right. right. This is, right. actually this conversation is, is fruitful for me because, um, I am thinking about the next new thought piece that I want to write. And I'm not sure if it's going to be another book or academic articles or whatever at this point. But I was just I've just been mulling over, you know, what is the next thing I can offer because there still are not any other scholars doing work in African Americans and New Thought. I'm still the only one, and so I was just thinking about that. It it needs to be this. It needs to be how is it that New Thought can address social issues. And still maintain itself as, you know, well, we. It all starts with me. Well, yeah. Oh, it, as, as you know, some people yeah. will receive that in very hurtful ways to say, well, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm a victim of an assault, are you saying that I drew that to me, or if I'm having, you know, repeatedly undesired experiences in relationships or a job place, are you saying that I'm drawing that to me? And so there needs to be a a good explanation for people about, you know, that attraction factor so that it doesn't push them away and say, oh, well, you know, that's crazy. I didn't ask for that to happen. I didn't ask to be in an abusive marriage or something like that. Because they don't understand how consciousness works or the law of attraction works. It's You know, the law of attraction has become this sensationalized concept removed from larger doctrine in which it exists. And some people say, oh, you just use a law of attraction to get a car. Or, right. you know, that's just what you use for. And it's like, mm, no, you don't really have a good understanding. Right. So right. the next level of my own work needs to be, you know, continually helping people expand their consciousness. What is it that, you know, do you understand this? No. Then let me help that and, and and I think to myself okay what's my purpose in being in this lifetime and I and I come to understand this is my purpose to push to, to push and to be on the leading edge and to bring people with me to a place they might not otherwise have gotten yeah they yeah would stay within a certain religious box or they would sort of drop out of that and become atheist or agnostic not knowing that there's another way there's a, there's an Understanding that we are individualized expressions of God, and that not blasphemy.
2: Yes, yes, I, I I think that you know I I would highly encourage and and and, and you know be helpful in any way that I, that I could in that pursuit because I think that that conversation is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, we've been doing in UFBL these um, symposiums on different things with uh, new thought and different embracing other issues culturally, socially. You know we. You know I think this year we did um, um, Christianity and white privilege from the concept of New Thought dealing with it. How you deal with that? Last year we did. um, I believe we we did the prosperity gospel because that was an aspect of what the Pentecostal Word of Faith movement took from the New Thought movement. Okay, we're gonna take this aspect of prosperity and, as I said, to speaker i mean a historian Utah historian a couple of uh weeks ago that uh i was actually in bed one day listening to um, um uh reverend uh dr leroy thompson uh, from louisiana who's a who's a well-known word of faith prosperity teacher and preacher right. Right. and and um i'm not throwing shade at him i'm just saying <laughs> stating a fact uh-huh. i was listening to him and i said man that really sounds familiar that's Charles Fillmore's prosperity. So I ran down downstairs, got, went to the basement, got my book, prosperity, lay back in bed, and I read his sermon with him. He never said it was Fillmore.
0: Right.
2: He never right. changed a word. But right. but you know I have one of those memories uh-huh. that I, I I can almost recall almost verbatim, and what I've read, and I know where it's from. Right. So I actually went to the page, like okay. And I just said, then I'm listening to him read, preach Fillmore. Right. As if it was revelation. Because they can't say, I got this from New Thought Movement, because right. then, you know, what happened, what happened to him and the same thing that happened to uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson?
1: Right.
2: You'll lose your church. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's one of the, the nuances of it. I, I think it's it's so important that the work that you're doing it, to make sure that the academic. Circles understand and know about New Thought because Mm -hmm. this is one of the things I think that, as I said before, I really believe that uh, New Thought is already totally ingrained in the American culture.
0: Right. We
2: just don't call it that.
0: Exactly. Call it
2: New Thought. We we you know people who write about New Thought or borrow from New Thought heavily don't call it New Thought. The Wayne Dyers of the world, you know, the uh, a lot of the transformational movements uh, started with. Uh, you know, the self-help workshop seminars, many of them start from a New Thought base. Right. That what didn't exist in America before New Thought really promoted it in an Americanized way. You had to go through more Eastern mysticism, occult teachings, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Right. And New Thought was like, no, this is what it is. These are the principles. Be free to be used by anybody. The Ernest Holmes, the Charles and Myrtle Fillmore's, and uh, the Neville Goddard's, and, right. and different people, they presented it. And that's why I really like the fact that we have to get this message out i think it's so important and you know so what you're doing is 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 life-changing
0: well this so is let of,
2: me just affirm that okay I was,
0: gonna say, I was just about to say this is very affirming for me to to do it because it's just been <clears throat> ruminating in my thought process we know how that goes right yeah but also, as you were saying that, you know, about Leroy Thompson, I'm familiar with him and, you know, all the word of faith people, word of faith tradition, actually. Um, and I thought, oh, well, maybe I should do also reclaiming the prosperity gospel because, you know, the, pros- the term prosperity gospel has gotten such backlash and, you know, in some ways, rightfully so, because people don't really understand. They just see these ministers saying, you know, I need a new jet and, you know, that's offensive to people but because people don't know that this is a new thought teaching that's been sort of I'll say uh, appropriated <laughs> into the word of faith in particular then then it then they could if they knew that they could understand oh what I'm looking at is not entirely the whole doctrine here right. oh what I'm looking at is this person's understanding about how to get rich you know Leroy Thompson I mean I think with Leroy Thompson that's his entire message Right. About, you know, well, um, Creflo Dollar, we might say he at least does talk about some other things. But, you know, maybe I need to do some work on that prosperity thing because it's something that we all live with. You know, money is such an important factor in terms of how we live. It's not that everybody has to desire to be wealthy, but we know how difficult life can be if you don't have enough for your basic living. And so many people are struggling with that, and it binds them in such a way that they can't get to aspects of being more creative because they feel like, you know, i got to work as many hours as I can to feed myself. So, yeah. you know, I guess I'm saying I need to do this prosperity piece as well. So, yeah, these projects are, are stacking up for me. Thank you, Reverend Gayle, for giving me more work to do.
2: But <laughs> well, you know, part of it, see, I, you, you, you know, we preachers need scholars to do work. You need us to present the work, so <laughs> we're supposed to work hand in hand. See, I know, without a doubt, you know, I'm, I'm a researcher. Like I, I'm a crazy researcher, but I know my gift is preaching and teaching at a, at a high level.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you know, I, you know, not tooting my own horn. I can bring it. I know I can, and <laughs> I guess that is tooting my own horn. And I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> but the other work also has to be done. Right. And I think that that's really important for us to understand. If 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 you're a Johnny Coleman, for instance, in 1956 and you're starting a church in Chicago, the most segregated city in the United States, as far as where people, how people live and interact with each other uh-huh. and you're you're starting at this ministry, and you're this alternative ministry. You're dealing with a couple of factors. One, you're dealing with economics. She taught prosperity. Right. You're dealing with. If you don't have good economics, most likely you don't have good health care. Right. She taught spiritual healing. But beyond that, it was something that um, Jesse Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson said at her memorial service. She, He said that Reverend Coleman, not the memorial service, at uh, he spoke the day before at the church. He, he was, I guess, speaker. And he said she brought up the standards of church. So she brought the divine order that was so emphasized to her at Unity. And said, okay, how do I bring this to uh, the church in a way that people can understand? Building a culture up, lifting people up by their minds, telling people you can have what you desire if you can get your consciousness together and you can understand who you are in God. And then went and did it. Historically, she's not giving credit for some of the things she's done because there's no academic work. So if you're a black woman... Take the new thought out of it. black one who builds the largest church in Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Every black or one female organization should know that. Right. Outside right. of new thought. You know, right. I mean, you, you build a 32 acre, 3000 seat facility with rooms and this and, and, you know, and up until maybe less than seven, eight years ago was the largest religious f- facility in Chicago. Right. And you're not even celebrated for the womanhood of it. And I'm just saying that from the context of this is why the academics are so important, right. because this is how the information is disseminated. Right. And, when, and, and as people understand this, as they show up in their college courses and things of that nature, and they start to understand history, if historians aren't writing about it, and some of that is our responsibility as well. We have to write about it because she didn't write biographies. But but who are the people that were affected by these things? Uh, have, I just recently found out about an African American minister I didn't know about. Her. I'm, sure, I'm sure you probably heard of June Cobb. Yeah. Just found out about her. Right. Didn't know about her. Now I have to do like as much research as I can because that matters to me. Right. Because I'm, how does this show up consistently? A uh, uh, Reverend Ike is not considered new thought by many people, but Reverend Ike was a pure metaphysician.
1: Exactly,
2: pure exactly. metaphysician. But his personality was so outlandish, <laughs> and I mean that in a good way, and not in a bad way. But I know. you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, he was so outlandish that he was viewed as "quote unquote" the 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 grandfather of these "quote unquote" money preachers.
0: Right. Exactly. Um you know it's it is important because the history gets lost you know who these yeah. people were and the impact they made on their immediate communities the immediate people who knew them as well as you know how they serve for the next person along the line so you know like you know i when i talk about it in my book and talk about it in my classes, like okay where do african americans gonna start plugging into new thought and i talk about father divine and father grace or daddy grace and then Reverend Ike, you know, it's still still acknowledging, well, here's a historical stream and I I might say I'm gonna locate the beginning of it with Father Divine. But I'm knowing too it came even before that, but people weren't calling it. Right new thought. It was just some empowerment preaching or whatever they called it at the time, however they knew it. But, you know, I just for the purpose of creating a timeline, I, I, I started with um of Divine and started building, okay, so this is a tradition here. It's not something brand new, just because people kind of get a little tripped out when they think something is brand new because they'll say, oh, that's a cult.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, well, okay, cult doesn't mean new religion in a technical sense, but to most people, cult is going to mean something that's strange and oppressive to people. So, you know, if we don't, I have to own that now as New Thought Scholar. If I don't continue... You know, writing and documenting, then a lot gets lost. My academic colleagues who do anything in New Thought, they're, they're not doing anything in African American New Thought, they tend to stay with sort of rehashing the, the founding members of New Thought. And they stay talking about, you know, just the early people or the right. early doctrine and, you know, it, it, it becomes just sort of a stale conversation. Yeah, I don't know what uh, it's such a small group anyway in academia to talk about new thoughts. So when I've gone to presentations by those people, I just sit there thinking, "What year is it? <laughs> like what, yes. And where is the applicability to people in the 21st century who are living in ways that they don't want to? Particularly in, in this case, African Americans, but." any group of people who feel themselves to be oppressed who could use a liberating message that says you're an individualized expression of God and you have the power to co-create your reality.
2: Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, as, well, you know, one of the things that we, uh, I'll often have this conversation with Reverend Wells, uh, the pastor of, the, of our church is that his position is that new thought is a liberation theology. You know, in it, some you know, in Chicago, several churches that teach Black liberation theology. Yes. Um, you know, like um, you know um, Trinity United Church, where President Obama used to uh, attend.
0: Jeremiah my uh,
2: Yeah, yeah. It's now um, Reverend Otis Moss III, um, okay. and, and, and his uh, father actually was a friend of um, of um, Doctor King, I believe. But anyway, uh, the you know, but people talk about liberation theology. Right, but I, but I don't. I think that new thought is the ultimate liberation theology. I'm not saying it's better than any other religion. Don't get my, get me wrong. But I'm saying from the standpoint of it promotes individual overcoming of self, and then how do you engage a, the world as a transformed individual? As about as clear as any religion. Matter of fact, you, you know what? <laughs> I'll say this because I don't say this often on the show, but I, I guess I'll share it. My definition, what I call new thought. My definition of new thought is a term. I call new thought, but naked God.
0: <laughs> Can you take it?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's but naked God. I mean, when I and it came to me in, in a presentation, I was in Cancun and I was asked to speak because somebody didn't show up um, at a, one of our conferences, and I'm presenting and I'm excited because Michael Beckwith was in the audience, and you know I just love love that brother, uh-huh. and. And out of nowhere, I just said butt-naked God, and I started teaching it. What is God without the religious creeds? What's God without the fundamentalism? What's God without the traditions? What's God without the culture? What's God without all the stuff, the clothes we put on God? You remove all of that. You get divine principle. You get universal law. You get mind action. You get, you know, divine spirit. You it's butt-naked. Because right. you don't have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. It's the pure principle. Now can you deal with it? Right. And and for some people, they want the God dressed up as, uh-huh. you know, various versions of Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and that's all good. Right, right. But when you strip all of those religious beliefs down to their bare essence, you're dealing with divine principle, universal law, mind action, spirit. Right. But naked God. So uh, I, I use that term when I'm preaching, and when you know when I first used it, you know it it it, it shocked people. You know? <laughs> but sometimes that's a good that's thing as well. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's necessary. Right. And um, so so all you're promoting to people is the but naked God in the academic sense. But if but for but to be accepted in any field, you got to use the language of that field. Exactly. You know, it's sort of like um, you know. One of, I'm also a martial artist, so I practice kung fu, and but I also know you can't go to a, a keto dojo and start using kung fu terminology. If you, you you have to say this is how we're doing in kung fu, you would call it this in a keto. right? And then, oh, you now created a bridge. Right. So, to a certain extent, a, a, as a minister, I, I, I am now anointing you as the bridge. <laughs> 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 I have heard that before, Again, getting my I metaphorical have... oil out now to pour on your head to anoint you as the bridge
0: <laughs> and I have to accept that like I said I, I used to feel sort of burdened like oh this is so difficult nobody knows what I'm doing but but no it's like no I must have agreed to this lifetime to come in and do this work and now it's um, it's a joy for me to do it and whenever I try not to do it because I have you know, other projects that I might do. And I know, well, I haven't written anything specifically on New Thought and I'm I can't not, you know, right. it's like the thing that wells up inside of you that you are going to do no matter what. It's just going to come out of your pores. And so I have accepted my bridge, <laughs> <laughs> I, what I call it, um, vocation, because yeah. there are many ways in which I stand as a as a bridge in teaching um even even to say teaching African American religions in general yes. at a university. I teach at the Loy- at Loyola Marymount University here in LA and even to just do that course is already a bridge. <laughs> so whatever I fill that class up with, that just becomes additional. <laughs>
2: well, well, well I do want to do because we we're like a minute out. I oh. wanna make sure people know first of all, how do they get in contact with you? Website, email address, how do they get your books? What are you up to now? Can you give us a one-minute synopsis?
0: Okay. Well, you can always find me at drdarnese.com. That's my website that deals primarily with my bridge personality as a as America's Life Coach and relationship expert. So you'll get new thoughts sp- specifically uh, to help you with relationships there.
2: Could you my- spell it out? Because I know you uh, just spell it out because uh, people are listening. Okay. Some
0: Dr. So drdarnise.com so d-r-d-a-r-n-i-s-e dot com no period in that d-r-d-a-r-n-i-s-e dot com my email address is drdarnise at drdarnise dot com again that's just my name you can google me you can find me on youtube you can find me on facebook on instagram I'm pretty much drdarnise everywhere um, yeah so well, coming next um, actually I've been writing I spent some time this summer I just got back from Panama a month in Panama writing a personal development book called 40 something lessons for women on life love and faith so that is pretty much I'm just in a revision stage now but I'm always writing I'm always teaching I'm firmly situated in new thought and metaphysics so reach out if you need some help with your relationships and how to create the love you want, how to create a life of, uh, purpose that you actually want and not the default plan, I call it. Send me an email, Dr. Darnese at com. Find me on com.
2: All right. Sounds like a plan. So when you write that, when that book comes out, Give me a call so we can do a show about it. I'm sure I, that'll be my most well received show ever. Tell people how to, this is how you go get that man or woman you want. So, <laughs> which but the truth is, this is how you become the man or woman you should be. But but we won't tell them that anyway. So, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. it Has been an absolute pleasure, and um, you know we'll be doing this again. Thank you awesome. so much. Thanks for
0: having me. Have a good day. Thanks
2: you also. God bless. Thank you all for listening to Truth Transforms. I'll be with you next week. Take care.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple.
0: Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: It's been said that the way to build a peaceful world is one person at a time. Think about it. Haven't we all been in situations where one person's attitude, his or her state of mind and way of being, had a profound effect on everyone in the group? We may have seen times when the effect was negative, caused by gossip or backbiting but we've all seen times where one person changed an environment in a positive way by maintaining a friendly attitude of goodwill toward everyone he or she gradually influenced more and more members of the group to do the same before long the positive attitude became the norm peace began with one person I look for opportunities to be that person peace can begin with me To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it. And according to Yogis and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious with enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time.